Joshua chapter 22 tonight, and I think I'm going to break protocol, and we're not going to read the chapter before, just because it will kind of, it kind of mess my message up a little bit, because I need us to kind of go through this story, and, and this is not a real familiar story, but if we get to the ending um, of this story, and you have already know how it ha- ends, it kind of messes up how I'm wanting to present this chapter. Right? So no reading ahead as we go. Uh, we're just going to kind of go through this chapter verse by verse, and I just want to, I, I want to show you something in here, because it's a very important principle that we can learn from this chapter in chapter, Joshua chapter 22. So let's start reading in verse 1. It says, Then Joshua called the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and said unto them, Ye have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice and all that I commanded you. Ye have not left your brethren these many days unto this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God hath given rest unto your brethren, as he promised them. Therefore now return ye and get you unto your tents and unto the land of your possession, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of Jordan. And if we, if you remember, we go back several weeks uh, before they crossed over Jordan, they had won some battles. They had won some battles during the time of Moses, and they actually possessed some land that was on the other side of Jordan. And the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half of the tribe of Manasseh, that was a very large tribe, they actually possessed some land that was on the other side of Jordan. But whenever they crossed over Jordan, whenever it was time to do that, Joshua had commanded all of them and said, Hey, I, I get it. You've got land. You're pretty safe right now. The Canaanites, they're not gonna, you're not in any danger. They're not gonna cross over Jordan and try to take over your land. But you gotta understand, right now, the rest of Israel needs you. We are 12 tribes, but we are also one people. And we need you to go over with us armed across Jordan. And we need you to help us to defeat the Canaanites and the tribes. They all were obedient to Joshua. They did what he said. They went over, and even though their land was already good, even though those tribes were already kind of taken care of, as far as land went, they went and they fought with their brethren like they were supposed to. The land has now all been divided up. The land is subdued. They are no longer in any imminent danger. And so Joshua now is telling these men, hey, you did good. You did what I asked you to do, and it's time for you to go back, go cross over Jordan, and you all go take possession of your land. So this is a good day. This is a great day for these two and a half tribes uh, where they're now going to go back to their land. And so in verse 5, notice what Joshua says. He says, But take diligent heed to do the commandment of the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you, to love the Lord your God, and to walk in all His ways, and to keep His commandments, and to cleave unto Him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went unto their tents. So this command that Joshua gives them, this is obviously something that all of the tribes were supposed to do. But Joshua, I believe he's making extra sure that these people are committed to serving the Lord because now they're going to be kind of separated geographically. And understand, back then... Having a river in between you was a big deal. It's not like today where, you know, we've got bridges that are, you know, we have easy access. But you know what's interesting about this? I had a pastor tell me this one time, and there's a lot of truth to this. They were talking about um, how people rarely want to cross 
major borders to go to church. Like if they live, if churches that are on state lines, usually they don't have very many people from the other state to go to their church. It's like there's a something about it. And they they said it was they said how they don't want to cross state lines. You know they don't want to cross major rivers and bridge. Whenever there's a major division, they still don't like to do that. I you know and it seems weird to me because it's like, I mean if if I you know if I lived in Clinton. And there was a good church in Fulton. I wouldn't have any problem crossing that. But you know what? I'll bet the churches in Fulton don't have too many people from Clinton going to those churches. You know, so I don't know. There, but imagine back then it was going to be even more you know difficult because you know crossing the river wasn't going to be an easy thing. So, um, you know, Joshua's wanting to make sure they know that hey, all right, even though, though there's going to be some separation now and some distance, and we're not going to be able to keep an eye on you like we are the other tribes, just understand that you are still expected to follow the law just like the rest of us. He's making sure that they understand that. Because you know what? Geography often changes people too. You want to know what one of the most discouraging things about Facebook is? Is watching all the people who move from their church, and then everything about them changes after they move. It's like, why did you ever do any of the things that you did? So were you only dressing that way just to impress us? I mean, ladies, have we ever, you know, called any of you out for how we caught you dressed out in public or anything? I mean, you know, I mean, do you really feel that much pressure that you're just doing stuff that you don't believe in just to fit in here? I I hope it's not like that. I hope we're genuine. I hope we're real. But let me tell you, if we're real, geography shouldn't change that. You know, if you move to another state, you know, you ought to keep doing the same things. And I've seen people, some of these people too, I mean, they join whole new religions and everything. It's just like, were you ever one of us? And, but it is, it's, but you know, unfortunately, I think a lot of times they were, it's just they weren't mature. And so once they lose that accountability, they get in trouble. And that's why, you know what, you're always welcome to leave our church and go somewhere else, but you really should get in another good church if you leave this one. You really should do that because all of us are in trouble without accountability. So, Joshua wants to make sure though, because again, this isn't like a church situation. The 12 tribes of Israel, they're all one people. And if one tribe gets out of line and Israel doesn't deal with it, they're all going to get in trouble. And we're going to see that here in a little bit. So, Joshua, when he's telling these people, you better follow the law, he's not just saying that because he's trying to be controlling. No, if they get into idolatry when they cross over Jordan, Israel's in trouble. Not just the Reubenites, the Gadites, and Manasseh. Israel's in trouble. So he's getting assurances from these people that they are going to do the right thing. And so in verse 7, it says, Now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given possession in Bashan, but unto the other half thereof gave Joshua among their brethren on this side Jordan westward. And when Joshua sent them away also under their tents, then he blessed them. And he spake unto them, saying, Return with much riches unto your tents, and with very much cattle, with silver, and with gold, and with brass, and with iron, with very much raiment. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. And the children of Reuben, and the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned, and departed from the children of Israel, out of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go into the country of Gilead, to the land of their possession, whereof they were possessed according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. So these people too, when they're getting ready to go 
you know, back, go into their land on the other side of Jordan, they are set up to have a very good life. They had defeated many kingdoms and they were able to take the spoil. And so Israel, they're very rich now. They are very rich. They've got land. They've got a great leader. They've got a generation that's been following the Lord, that's obeying the law. I mean, and folks, this was, this was the great, probably the greatest generation Israel ever had. So, you know, while things are going great, Josh wants to make sure things keep going great for all of Israel and that these two and a half tribes that are going to be separated from them a little bit, that they make sure they keep doing the right thing. Because it it's not just going to be them. Remember Achan, one guy, when he took of the accursed thing, God got mad at Israel for it. And so he's, he, so this is, you know, it's probably a little scary, you know, but sometimes you do, you got to trust people. And, you know, it's kind of like too, when you, when you start a church and you send somebody out, you know, once they go out, you kind of lose control, you know, at, at, at that, but you know, it's your hope that they're going to do the right thing. And it can be a little scary. And so now uh, they're, they're set up good. So verse 10 says, and when they came unto the border of Jordan, they're in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half-tribe Manasseh built there an altar by Jordan, a gray altar to see to. So, now here's something you need to understand. Israel, there were not supposed to be any altars built to offer sacrifices on except for the one outside the tabernacle. And so what we're about to see here is something that looks really bad. But I'm going to tell you, it's not what it seems. Okay? And the title of the message tonight is The Danger of Jumping to Conclusions. Okay? Because, and we're going to look at the scripture here in a little bit, that it appears they violated. But so here we have a situation where Joshua, he sends these tribes off, and it, you know, it's already kind of a nervous situation. He's telling you, you make sure you follow the law. And then the first thing these guys do when they get over on the other side of Jordan, they build an altar and they build a big one. They build one that everyone can see right there on the border. It kind of looks like we've got open rebellion going on right here. And because again, they weren't supposed to build altars. Uh, and so it says in the verse 11, and the children of Israel heard say, behold, the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh have built an altar over against the land of Canaan in the borders of Jordan at the passage of the children of Israel. Now, folks, this statement that they made was true here. Okay? Now, I don't know what happened, but, you know, one of the ladies was out walking one day and kind of looked across the river and she saw, you know, this altar there, started taking pictures of it and sharing it on Facebook. And like, look what they're doing. They're building an altar. That's against the Word of God. That's against what the Bible says. They built an altar. They're going, they're doing their own thing over there. I knew it was going to happen. I mean, I called it. I knew those tribes were bad from day one. Look at them over there building that altar like that. You know, and instead of me going over and asking them what's going on, I'm going to go tell everybody in Israel. And so here this lady goes back to tell everybody in Israel. Nobody bothers to talk to them. They go to everybody else. She goes to the mob, right? <laughs> and it's amazing the things that we see in the Bible that just how things don't really change. Okay, and I'm, I'm adding some things there. There wasn't really Facebook back then. But let me tell you, everything that makes Facebook bad is human nature and sin. And human nature and sin have always been around. 
so we can find really close parallels. And I don't know it was a woman that originally spotted this. I just, I just picture that. Okay. Whoever it was, if it wasn't a woman, it was some punk, you know, that's real hardcore on keeping the law, and you know, he was watching. He was watching everything, just like whoever's assigned to watching all my sermons to check for any heresies I might have coming. So, uh, you know, if, if you're that punk watching right now, that you're a descendant of whoever tattled on the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half tribe of Manasseh. You're just like you're just like them. And so, you know, the, Israel's all fired up now. I mean, good night. You know, the accusation has been laid down. This is a credible source. They were the one that exposed. Uh, you know, Korodath and Abiram, and they turned out to be bad. They were the ones that, you know, exposed all these other people in different situations. And, they, you know, they, were, they always knew about Korah. You know, and so surely they're right on this person too. But verse 12 says, And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered themselves together at Shiloh to go up to war against them. Alright, so we're all riled up. We're ready to go fight. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, while we're making some parallels here to things that we've all seen in the past, Understand, this is a righteous group with a good heart. And so, I'm going to show you something in a little bit that was very different about this group than many of the mobs that we've seen today. There was, there was something very different about them. And it's so important that we have this quality that these people had. So, so these people, they've succeeded in riling up the mob. And something we need to understand is the indignation that these people have right now. And get this. It is in, in, in their minds, they are angry over a very serious violation of God's law. And they were ready to do what God commanded them to do. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 13. Because this is, I mean, this is clear what the law of God is. Deuteronomy 13, verse 12, says, If thou shalt hear say in one of thy cities, which the Lord thy God hath given thee to dwell there, saying, Certain men, the children of Belial, reprobates. Hey, we heard there's those people building that altar. They're obviously reprobates. Says certain sons of Belial, children of Belial, are gone out from among you and have withdrawn the inhabitants of their city, saying, Let us go serve other gods, which ye have not known, that then shalt thou inquire and make search and ask diligently. Okay? Now that's a very important part right there too. Don't go asking the other people, you know, from the tribes that are on your side. Go ask the Reubenites, Gadites, and half tribe of Manasseh. As you, you make diligent inquiry. It's amazing all the things people get accused of and nobody talk to them. Isn't that, it's always an interesting thing. But this is, this is what, this is what righteous people do. Okay? And this is God's law. And these people are ready to, do, they're, they're ready to do it. And they're getting armed to go to war. But before they start, you know, shooting arrows, we're going to see they talk to them. And, and it's a good thing they did. It says, Behold, if it be truth and the certain thing that such an abomination is wrought among you, thou shalt certainly, surely smite the inhabitants of that city with the edge of the sword, destroying it utterly and all that is therein, and the cattle thereof, with the edge of the sword. And thou shalt gather all the spoil of it into the midst of the street thereof, and shalt burn with fire the city and all the spoil thereof, every whit, for the Lord thy God, and it shall be in heat forever, it shall not be built again. So, I mean, this is very serious right here. If these people are doing what they think they're doing, all these other tribes... If they go over, they're, they're ready to do it. They're going over armed. They are ready 
to kill their own brethren. And let me tell you, if the accusation is true, that is exactly what they were supposed to do according to God's law. And so understand, what these people have right now is in fact a righteous indignation because if this is true, then we need to be ready to shed some blood. But thankfully, they followed all the law, not just parking in many people today. And that's one of the biggest reasons we often see friendly fire and a lot of attacks on people that don't have them coming. But verse 13 says, And the children of Israel sent unto the children of Reuben and to the children of Gad and to the half-tribe Manasseh in the hand of Gilead, Phinehas the son of Eleazar the priest. So they went and they got Phinehas because he would be a proper judge in this situation. Okay, And in a civilized society, the mob should never have the power. Okay, The mob should never have the power to make judgments. You need cool heads. And so they did. They ended up, they took Phineas, uh, you know, who's the son of the high priest. They, or I think he was the high priest at the time, if I'm not mistaken. And then they had leaders from each of the tribes. And these people, while they're pretty riled up, they were civilized enough that they were going to follow what their leaders said. And these guys had enough control over their people that they knew, don't go throwing rocks yet. Don't go, you know, slinging poo like a monkey. You know, don't go doing any of that stuff until we give you the go-ahead. And understand, these these people, like, we, we got to go make judgment first because this is serious stuff. And so, verse 14, And with him ten princes of each chief house, a prince, throughout all the tribes of Israel, each one was in head of the house of their fathers, according, or fathers among the thousands of Israels. And so, for something this big especially, you, you, do, you need many leaders to make sure that you're doing the right thing because wiping out two and a half tribes is a pretty big deal. That's a really big deal. It was what God commanded if that's in fact what they did. And you're like, well, I mean, what else could it be? I mean, they built an altar. What, what else? Why else would anybody be doing that? Why can't they make a video explaining what they're doing? I mean, you already started throwing, <laughs> you already started throwing hand grenades. You know what, what's going on? You know, we got to find out. We got to talk to them. Well, I, I saw a picture of the the altar. I saw the screenshot. So judgment's already made. I know what's going on. You know, we we need to just pulverize these people. We need to nail them. Well, let's let's keep reading verse fifteen. And they came unto the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh unto the land of Gilead, and they spake with them, saying, Thus saith the whole congregation of the Lord, What trespass is this that ye have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord, and that ye have builded you an altar that ye might rebel this day against the Lord? Hey, the whole con- this is the whole congregation talking. We're in agreement. We saw the altar. Now answer for yourself. What is going on here? And notice what he says here, because he's like, this is... This is a serious rebellion here. Build an altar. We have an altar. It's the one that they put outside of the tabernacle. That's where the burnt sacrifices go. And understand, that was the main purpose throughout the Old or earlier in the Old Testament. We see men like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They would build altars. They would offer up burnt sacrifices. We see that during this time, God ended up giving that for the Levites to do. That was something that the high priest did. It was something that they did. Outside the tabernacle, they had that altar out there. Uh, outside there, I've got that model tabernacle office I could show you. And they would offer burnt sacrifices on there. And these guys, they went over on the other side of Jordan and they made a replica of it. 
I mean, what else would you make something like that for except to offer burnt sacrifices? That is not what God commanded. So we got to find out what's going on because this is a serious rebellion. And he says, is the iniquity of Peor too little for us from which we are not cleansed until this day, although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord? I believe that was the situation where they committed fornication. Balaam got him to do that and thousands died because of that one sin. Thousands of people in the congregation died. We see God in those early days in Israel making examples out of them because he wanted them following his law. It was very serious that they follow God's law because if they didn't, if they rebelled against God's law, one of these days they were going to become a race of people. If, if, they, if they didn't obey God's law, eventually God knew they would become a race of the most wicked people on the planet where there's millions of them and almost all of them going to hell. And isn't that where we're at today? I mean, that's exactly where we're at today. You say, oh, I was mean killing all those thousands of people. Well, God saw the millions that would eventually be going to hell if they didn't follow his law. And so God warned them. God did all these things and God was righteous in doing it. So in verse 17 or verse 18, but that ye must turn away this day from following the Lord and it will be seeing ye rebel today against the Lord and tomorrow he will be wroth with the whole congregation of Israel. Because again, you could say, why was this any of their business? And it's because they were one nation, they were one people. Okay? That's how it was back then. Okay? It's not quite the same today. You know, Today we do have local churches. And if one church does bad, we don't get punished for that. Unless we're like fellowshipping and supporting it. But you know, other churches, I mean, you know, I'm thankful for that. Because I see a lot of dumb stuff that goes on in a lot of churches just all the time. Just face-palming moments, just embarrassing moments, even people who have the name Baptist. But you know what? It's a separate church. It's not our problem. Thank God for that. That was not the case back then. That was not the case with the nation of Israel. And they understood this. So, verse 19 says, Notwithstanding, if the land of your possession be unclean, then pass ye over unto the land of the possession of the Lord wherein the Lord's tabernacle dwelleth, and take possession among us. But rebel not against the Lord, nor rebel against us in building you an altar beside the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing? And wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel, and that man perished not alone in his iniquity. And the children of the Reuben... Uh, and so... That, I mean, that wasn't that long ago when they all experienced that. We all saw God's wrath come on all of us because of one man's sin. And now we've got two and a half tribes doing this terrible sin. You're going to get all of us in trouble. So we are right right now and coming to you angry, concerned. And, you know, and, and he kind of even gives them a chance here too to repent. If there's just something wrong with the land, if it's a distance, whatever, the land's unclean, come dwell with us. Come live with us. Use our, our altar. You are not authorized. You have no right to go building your own altar like this. This is not what God wants. And if you're going to do this kind of thing, we're going to have to kill you. We're going to have to finish you. Otherwise, we're all in trouble. And, and I, do, I love this because this was not is, you know, Israel in their pride or just jealous at something that these other groups are doing. No, these people feared God. They had seen God execute judgment on the entire congregation 
for the sins of a few. And they knew they were all in trouble if this were, if this were the case. And so this was a fear of God that they had going on right here. And man, we all need that fear of the Lord. It's, it's the beginning of wisdom. And so it says in verse 21, then the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the half tribe of Manasseh answered and said unto the heads of the thousands of Israel, and thank God Israel was civilized enough that before they attacked, before they killed anyone, they allowed them to answer for themselves. Everybody deserves a chance to you know, answer for themselves. And uh, to, you know, before you just go attacking, you've know, you got to give them a good opportunity. In verse 22, says, The Lord God of gods, the Lord God of gods, He knoweth, and Israel shall know. If it be in rebellion or if it be in transgression against the Lord, save us not this day that we have built us an altar to turn from following the Lord or to offer thereon burnt offerings or meat offerings or to offer peace offerings thereon. Let the Lord Himself require it. And they're basically saying here, hey, if we did what you think we did, kill us. That's basically what they're saying right here. You know what they're doing right now before they answer for themselves? They're agreeing with the law of God that it's good. And they're like, by all means, if we are guilty of what you think we have done, by all means, kill us. We support you on this. We're still in agreement with you. We're still trying to follow the Lord too. It's so weird seeing a congregation in Israel that's just so firm on the Word of God and so obedient. Because, folks, enjoy these. You know, enjoy the Book of Joshua because after that, it's all downhill with Israel. I mean, you know, it's fun reading about this in the Book of Joshua, but then you get to Judges, and it's just one bad thing after another. And it's it's gets to where it's frustrating. But it says in verse twenty four, and if we have not rather done it for fear of this thing, saying, In time to come your children might speak unto our children, saying, What have ye to do with the Lord God of Israel? For the Lord hath made Jordan a border between us and you. Ye children of Reuben and children of Gad, ye have no part in the Lord, so shall your children make our children cease from fearing the Lord. What they're basically saying here is like we, we were concerned that because we've got this border that's between us, that there was going to come a time where maybe your children were going to tell our children, our children were going to tell your children, and we were going to think that we were two different people. That's what they were afraid of. And that, you know, we weren't with God or you weren't with God. This is, we, we were afraid that this was going to happen. Therefore, because they did, when they got over there, they saw, man, there's a separation here. We don't want to drift apart from these people. We don't want to become our own group. We want to make sure we stay strong, that we remain one as a people. And so this was their idea that they had. Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build us an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice. You all see that right there? Now listen, when you see an altar, it's, it makes sense that you would think they're going to offer offerings and sacrifices on there, which they were not allowed to do. So again, you can see why when Miss Nosy was spying on them to see what was going on and she saw that, I can kind of see why she would have got that idea. But that was not why they did it. They had no intention of offering any sacrifices on this altar. And it says, um, where did I leave off? 27. All right. So verse 28. Therefore said we, 
that it shall be when they should so say to us or to our generations in time to come that we may say again, behold the pattern of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between us and you. God forbid that we should rebel against the Lord and turn this day from following the Lord to build an altar for burnt offerings, for meat offerings, or for sacrifices beside the altar of the Lord our God that is before His tabernacle. So what happened was these tribes said they were afraid that geographic location or separation, it was going to cause it to be a spiritual separation, you could say too. And so when they built this altar, they didn't build it to make sacrifices on they built it as a replica of the altar at their border as a reminder of their connection with the people on the other side and with the people of God. So it was supposed to be a symbol of who they were, that they were one people. And that's why, you know, and I guess something we could kind of compare it to today. You know, in our country, you know, one thing that we, that we can put out that you'll see in all 50 states that unites us is the American flag, right? Why? Well, every state has their own flag too. You know, we also have the American flag that's supposed to unite all of us as a country. It's got the 50 stars on there representing the 50 states. And so it's just a reminder that while we're Illinois and we have our identity and everything, just like the tribes, they had their standards. They had their own identities and everything too, but they were also all under one banner, Israel. And... So this altar that they had, this was just kind of their way of just putting a visual reminder right there at their border of their connection with those on the other side and with their God and with their altar because everything that was taking place in that tabernacle with the high priest, when he would offer up those burnt offerings for the congregation, it included those that were on the other side of Jordan too. And so it was there simply as a memorial. And so they... they had no intention of making sacrifices on it. It was just a reminder. It was a symbol. And this was clearly a misunderstanding. So on the surface, it looked like Israel's replica of the altar, you know, that they built. And it meant, and you know, a lot of people could see that and think they're trying to replace the altar of God, but that was not their intention. Their intention was to show a connection. Now you now, if you want, you could say, well, that probably wasn't the smartest way to do it. Well, I mean, it obviously almost caused some big problems, didn't it? But you know what? Sometimes, you know, people do things that look bad and they didn't think it through, but it wasn't their intention. You know, it was just, it's just what happened. But you know, what we're about to see right here now is going to show us what's in the heart that was in the heart of the congregation that came after them that is not in the hearts of many mobs today. Because let me tell you something, if these people would have been like a lot of people are today and they came, well, you know, the Bible just says not to build altars, you know, and I know it's to offer sacrifices thereon, but you know what, we're going to isolate the text and we're just going to, you know, focus on this one thing and you're condemned anyway. Oh, well, you know, oh, that was stupid. Uh, you know, that was a dumb thing to do. So we're going to kill you for being stupid. Uh, or, oh, well, you know what? This could lead to you eventually offering sacrifices one of these days. So we're going to kill you anyway. It's like once a mob gets riled up, they want blood. They want to see somebody hang every time. But you know what? That's not what we see with these people. Let's see what happens to this, pe- this group of people that were ready to kill that proves 
that what they had in their hearts was a righteous indignation out of a fear of God and out of love for God and not just a bloodthirsty mob. It says, And when Phineas the priest and the princes of the congregation and the heads of the thousands of Israel which were with him heard the words that the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and the children of Manasseh spake, it pleased them. They were glad. Hey, we didn't want to kill you. You know, but unfortunately, that's not how it is to a lot of people today. Today, what people want to do, they want to kill you. They want to destroy you. Why? So they can take your possessions. They can get your church members. They can get your tithe money. It's like they're always wanting to get something from you. It's pretty much how it is. No, not these people. They were glad. They were thrilled that it was just a misunderstanding. They didn't want to attack their brethren. It was their fear of God and love for the law that caused them to come after them. But it was the exact same thing that stopped them from hurting them. Because they didn't just, you know, they weren't just hardcore on the law by mouth. Okay? Because people who are hardcore on these things, they're going to be consistent across the board. And that's how these guys were. So they understood you have to hear someone out before condemning them. They also, because they, while they love the Lord and they fear God, they also love their brothers and they were glad that their brothers hadn't put them in a position where they had to choose between them and God. And they, because they did not want to kill them. Verse 31 says, And Phineas, the son of Eleazar the priest, said to the children of Reuben, and to the children of Gad, and to the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us, because ye have not committed this trespass against the Lord. Now ye have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. So if these tribes would have been doing what the other tribes thought they were doing, and if they would have ignored it, they all would have gotten in trouble. So again, this was an impressive time in Israel's history. They were really taking the things of God very serious. And so in verse 32, it says, And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and the princes, returned from the children of Reuben and from the children of Gad out of the land of Gilead into the land of Canaan to the children of Israel and brought them word again. And the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God and did not intend to go up against them in battle to destroy the land wherein the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar Ed, for it shall be a witness between us that the Lord is God. So this ended up being a great day because first off, in a way, they were kind of put to the test to see how serious they were about following the law of God and enforcing God's righteous laws. And it turned out they were very serious about it. They were ready to go kill two and a half tribes if they were violating God's law. So they kind of passed the test there. They followed all the law. They didn't just go shoot first, ask questions later. No, they went ready to fight. They made diligent inquisition. And then it turned out it's not what we thought. And it ended up being a great day because they found out, hey, turns out this action that we thought was rebellion, turns out this action is something that they did to show their commitment to following the Lord. This action that they did showed their commitment to, be, to remaining close to us and remaining united as one people. And where we had some concern before that when they got over there, they might want to go do their own thing. You know what they've done? That work that they did that freaked us all out, it actually proves to us that they're, they're not going to do that. That they are committed with us. So this would have been a very refreshing time for them. Just to know that, hey, this is a good thing. Our brothers are with us. So everybody's been kind of put to the test now. So now the other tribes know these guys are with us. And then those other tribes know 
even though they had no intention of doing anything bad, they also know, hey, if we ever get out of line, those other tribes are going to come over. They're going to kill us. Do you see those people? They were ready to kill us. They would have had we done this. And so, you know, there's fear in the hearts of everybody now. All the other ten tribes, you know, if any one of them want to go bad, hey, they were going to kill all the ones on the other side of Jordan. They're definitely going to kill us that are living right next to them. So, uh, you know, this is a good thing. This is one of the reasons that generation did so good. Uh, but, but again, ultimately, while they went with heavy hearts, they ended up leaving with great joy because they didn't have to kill their brethren. And you know what? We should be heartbroken when people rebel against God. You know, we should give people every opportunity to repent. We should try to set people up to be able to repent. And that's why, too, when, when people mess up, don't just immediately go attacking them. Don't go immediately making fun of them. Don't go sending them nasty texts and calling them. You're making it so hard for them to repent. We're trying to make a way of repentance for people. Aren't you glad that our way of repentance to God is so easy? I mean, look how easy God has made it for us to repent and to turn to Him. And yet, what do we want people to do all the time? Walk across broken glass you know, on, on their hands and knees? I mean, we're, we make it so hard, and, and it's, it's almost like with some people, they're glad to see it. Oh, man, I'm glad this person finally got exposed to the heretic. I always hated them. Well, you know, that's too bad. Maybe if people would have loved them, you know, maybe they'd have loved the Lord a little more, they'd have loved the Scriptures a little more. And you, could, you, you want to know one of the reasons, too, a lot of people get caught up in some weird heresy and get thrown out of church. A lot of times, it's kind of their way of looking for the escape hatch. It's just like they get sick of the church. They don't want to be there. And it's like they don't want, you know, people can't just leave quietly. So what do they end up doing? They just end up, I'll just get myself thrown out. And, and, I, you know, and we're just kind of like that by nature. Have you ever been somewhere and you just kind of wanted to get thrown out? You know, especially like with the mask mandates and stuff. It's just like, I know I'm probably going to get thrown out. I'm going to go there anyway, but not wear my mask just to see if they'll throw, you know, just see if they'll throw me out. And people do that in church sometimes too. They come into a church and it's like there's something in them that knows I should go to that church. But they don't want to go to this church. So they find something that they know will cause strife and contention. And then they start doing that, just daring the church to do something. And I've seen people do that too. When they come into a church, they will, they will literally, you know, it's like they're trying to provoke the church. You know, maybe even in just, you know, in how, you know, some lady will dress in a provocative way or something. It's like they want you to judge them so they can go out and tell everybody how judgmental you are. And a lot of people do that too when they want to get out of church. It's just like they don't like these people. And so they need us to do something hateful. They need us to do something mean. You know, they need us to throw them out. So a lot of times they, they kind of provoke, you know, they kind of provoke it. And the truth is, you know, it's hard to do that to people who genuinely love you and care about you. And, um, and so we, we, need, we need to be loving and caring with people. And these kind of things probably won't happen. But a lot of people, they don't give them a chance. And so as a church, we should always be ready to do judgment. We should always, okay, we should always be ready to mark people. You know, the Bible does tell us we're supposed to mark people. The Bible does tell us we're supposed to throw some people out of the church. And you know what? As a church, we ought to be like Israel where we are ready to go 
we are ready to do it to whoever, but at the same time, it ought to grieve us when we have to do it. And if we ever see something and it's perceived as something that would get somebody thrown out of the church, it ought to grieve our heart. And if we find out it's not the case, it ought to thrill our soul. And I had that happen one time. I had that happen one time where uh, I got a call from somebody that somebody, somebody's name was from our church was in the paper for doing something that would have got them thrown out of church. And I was devastated. I was devastated. And I remember sitting in my office like, I, I got to call this person. I did not want to make that phone call. And I was, I was ready to do it. And then that person, they called me back. And thank God, it, it was the same name, but it was actually their father that did not go to our church. And I was just, <laughs> you know, it was such a load off. And I was, I was ready to execute judgment. But you know what? I was glad when I didn't have to do it. But you know, some people, man, I thought we had them. <laughs> That's a terrible attitude. And let me tell you, anytime we ever throw, if we ever, we have to throw somebody out of this church, you know what? I'd rather see you all crying than cheering. While they're leaving, I hope, I, I hope people are shedding tears when that happens. I hope, I hope if we have to throw any of you out, I hope you're seeing people crying rather than smiling. And jeering as you go out of here, and then hopefully you'll see that and know that you know, these people love me. They didn't want to do that kind of thing to me. And then hopefully you'll get right. Because I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want to throw anybody out of the church. I don't want to do that, but we've got to be ready to in case, in, if that time ever comes. But you know what? You should, always, you should also know that before you ever get thrown out of this church, you know, there's going to be diligent inquisition. We're going to make sure... You actually did something. You know, before you know we break you know, before you break fellowship with somebody, whatever it is, we should always do our due diligence in every situation, and it should never bring us pleasure seeing others judged. It says in John seven fifty, Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? I mean, folks, the law is very clear about that. You don't judge anybody until you hear what they have to say. You give them a chance to answer for themselves. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, verse 13, we all know this passage, He that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. And this is specifically referring in making judgments and things like that. If you're just going and you're condemning somebody before you've even heard the matter, before, and I'm not saying that you just heard it from one person. No, that you heard it from them. You know, it's folly and shame. And I can't tell you how many times I've had people call me up. I've had people, I had a guy call me up one time here and he wanted to know why I hadn't made a video against a certain pastor. And I just told him, I said, I broke fellowship with that person a long time ago. It's like, yeah, but they still have all these heresies and things popping up. Why? It's like, because I've already broke fellowship with them. I really don't care what they're doing. I said, our, our church knows where I stand with this person. I get it. Everybody else is talking about this guy. I don't need to. And they just, they couldn't understand it. You know, they just, and, and I, you know, and I said, honestly, if I'm going to, you know, if I'm going to call this out like you want me to, I'm going to have to go listen to all these messages. I'm going to have to call this person up. I'm going to have to, but why? I've already, I'm done. This is dumb. I had somebody very recently 
I mean, on a YouTube comment, want me to judge a situation with somebody that's been here before and, and with one person and the other person I've never even met before. And they're just like, want me to judge all these and just demanding I give an answer and then I make some kind of public statement. They literally, they left the YouTube comment. I don't even know who this person is. And they're like, you know, I'll give you sufficient time to answer this. And I remember thinking, what is sufficient time? You know, and, and I just, I just ignored this person. I'm thinking, idiot. This situation has nothing to do with me, has nothing to do with their church. I don't care. I'm telling you, ask me after church. I'll show you. This person has like a website chronicling every bit of interaction that he's had with me, which is almost nothing. My wife, people that I've, I'm friends with. And he's like got this, if you go read this thing, it's like this dramatic saga of stuff involving me and these other people that have nothing to do with our church. And it's just like, these people are nuts. And it's just demanding I make a judgment. And, and I just thought I'd have, you know, I'd have to go talk to this person. I, I just don't feel like doing it. I've told that to many people before. I don't feel like judging this situation. It will require, because righteous judgment requires a lot of time. Okay, righteous judgment is more than I saw a two-minute video clip. I'm ready to go. No, righteous judgment, it requires a lot of time. And so the thing is, I'm not required to judge every situation. I'm allowed to say, that's out of my jurisdiction. Go give that to a judge that the jurisdiction belongs to. Because I, it's, just, it's not worth my time. I'm not going to do it. But you know what? We have a multitude of losers out there today ready to make judgments just like that. I mean, all it'll take, one pastor says something negative about somebody and then you got all these people just ready to jump on board. No, nobody even talks to the person. Did the pastor even talk to that person? Well, no. But I saw that clip. Uh, sorry. Some of us here, we're actually trying to be some, you know, obedient the best we can to the Bible and we don't want to go jumping to conclusions. And I'll tell you, when you get around people like that, you know what, just, you want to stay away from them. Just, you know what, you all keep your distance. I, I saw Oxbow Incident growing up. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but that's where they, it was a sad movie where they falsely lynched some people. And uh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get caught up in that. And you, let me tell you, when stuff's in your jurisdiction, you should never bury your head in the sand. You should deal with it. But when it's out of your jurisdiction, that's just where you sit back and you just be thankful. And, you know, you can just look at it for entertainment purposes, all right? Like, how, you know, how many people watched the Kyle Rittenhouse case, okay? Now, how many people had declared Kyle Rittenhouse innocent before they'd heard <laughs> the whole matter, okay? Now, we have the luxury of doing that because it was not in our jurisdiction, all right? But understand, you know what? I hope, and I think they did, the people that were actually a part of that trial, that were a part of that jury, I hope they looked into things more than I did. Because they were the ones who the responsibility was on, who had somebody's life you know, and their future in their hands. And, and based on my judgment, I think they did a good job <laughs> in this situation. But, uh, but at, at the same time, you know, let's just face it, most of us watched it for entertainment value. And that, that's it. And it was very entertaining, especially when that judge was chewing out the prosecutor over and over again. That, that was very entertaining. But uh, that, again, righteous judgment does take a lot of time. 
And we need to make sure that we uh, always judge, not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this uh, wonderful story we have in the Bible. Lord, it's a, it's a, a real feel-good story that's in your word. And Lord, I'm just thankful for this example we have of a godly generation that uh, followed you with all their hearts. And Lord, it's, it's, uh, it's helpful to be able to see how they handled this situation. I, I'm challenged in many areas. Lord, I'm challenged in uh, making sure I judge righteously and not jump to conclusions, but also being ready to do the hard things that you don't feel, always feel like doing if uh, the situation calls for it. But I pray you'll help us to keep cool heads like they did and to be consistent in our judgment. In your name we pray. Amen.